when we talk about children or our very own childhood, there are all types of reactions because we all go through different stages as kids. We all enjoyed our childhood in various ways, whether it be from cultural and ethnic upbringings to observing those around us as children. Many perhaps were very hyperactive, others introverted, another happy-go-lucky, or maybe yours was filled with peace. There are also child prodigies who were born with amazing intelligence and considered geniuses. But overall, it is usually exciting to talk about our upbringing when you had a happy childhood. Unfortunately, not every child in the world has this same opportunity, and on this episode, I'm going to be talking and dedicating time to child abuse. I'm Joyce Grace, and this is Shots of Endorphins. of us wish that there was peace in the world and that a smile never leaves a child's face. But facing reality is a lot crueler than I like to admit. Sometimes the most obvious signs can be overlooked when you're not paying attention. So in this episode, I would like to bring awareness to child abuse, how to see the signs, the effects, and what to do in this situation in order to combat it. Remember y'all, all information was gathered from different sources for educational purposes. Child abuse is recognized in multiple forms such as physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, and negligence, which came to the forefront in the 20th century. Actually, child abuse continues to be more likely recognized in economically developed countries than in third world countries. Children, however, have been beaten and abandoned for thousands of years, based primarily on the belief that the children are the property of their parents. It was accepted, and in many cases, it was even encouraged. In early civilizations, abandoning deformed or unwanted children was considered the norm, and ritual sacrifices of children to appease the gods would take place in the Egyptians, Carthaginian, Roman, Greek, and Aztec societies. In Roman society, the father had complete control over the family, even to the extent that he could kill his children for disobedience. Sexual abuse of children was common in both Greek and Roman societies, and was also sold as prostitutes. Women often participated in the abuse. Petronius, a Roman writer in the first century, even recorded the rape of a seven-year-old girl witnessed by a line of clapping women. During the Middle Ages, between the years 350 to 1450, in Europe, healthy but unwanted children were apprenticed to work or offered to convents and monasteries. Infanticide, or the murder of babies, was also common. The Roman Catholic Church contributed to infanticide when it declared that deformed infants were omens of evil and the product of relations between women and demons or animals. In another example of religious support for what would now be considered child abuse, the Archbishop of Canterbury in the 7th century ruled that a man could sell his son into slavery until the child reached the age of seven. In 13th century England, the law read, if one beats a child until it bleeds, it will remember. But if one beats it to death, the law applies. By the child's fourth year, harsh discipline played a major role in his or her socialization. 
Children and parents were taught that beatings were in the children's best interest. However, children were beaten not only by their parents, but also by their teachers. In the late centuries, it was common for teachers to use a rod to discipline their students when they thought the child was out of line. The late Middle Ages and the Renaissance saw changes in how society viewed children, but abuse was still common. Neil Pulsman, the author of the book called The Disappearances of Childhood, noted that the idea that children were small adults has started to change by that time. Among the upper classes, children began to receive a long, formal education increasingly separated from adults and kept with their peers. It was becoming apparent that children were not really that similar to adults after all, but rather like mounds of clay to be molded. In 16th and 17th century Europe, fathers commonly placed their children in apprenticeships to provide inexpensive labor. The apprentice system was a major job training method of pre-industrial Western society. The apprentice who trained with a master frequently worked under conditions that, by today's standards, would be considered severely abusive. The practice of paternal control was brought to the American colonies and the father ruled over his wife and children. The mother, however, was also expected to discipline her children, inflicting corporal punishment as she saw fit. A child was little more than the property of their parents. At the same time, the children was an asset that could be used to perform work on the farm. Parental discipline was typically severe, and parents and teachers and ministers found support for stern disciplines in the Bible. Several verses in Proverbs summoned up in the phrase, spare the rod and spoil the child, were cited as justifications for beating children. It should be noted that the biblical rod referred to was as a shepherd's rod, used to guide the sheep in the right direction, not to beat the sheep. But church elders taught that children were born corrupted by original sins and the only path to salvation was to beat the devil out of the child. Some colonial legislatures even passed stubborn children laws, giving parents the legal right to kill unruly children. According to the journalist named Rogers Rosenblatt, Massachusetts enacted a law in 1646 that allowed the death penalty of a rebellious child, though the law was never enforced. Therefore, by their teens, many children were living with other families, bound out as an indentured servant or apprentices. It was common for heads of households and masters to brutalize these children without fear of reprisal except in cases involving excessive beatings, massive injury, or death. Now, coming into the modern era, there is still a lot of child abuse going on. About 4.4 million child maltreatment referral reports were received nationwide. Meanwhile, 7.9 million children are reported to be involved in child abuse. But it is noted that child neglect and maltreatment are likely to create consequences for victims later in life. For example, abused children are 25% more likely to experience teen pregnancy. Statistics show that abused teens are more likely to engage in sexual risk-taking behaviors, putting them at greater risk for STDs. It also shows that 30% of abused and neglected children will later abuse their own children, continuing the horrible cycle of abuse.
In at least one study, about 80% of 21-year-olds who were abused as children met the criteria for at least one psychological disorder. In 2019, the percent of victims of child maltreatment with caregivers who abused alcohol or other substances increased. There is a strong statistical link between child maltreatment and parental substance abuse. The effects of parental alcoholism and substance abuse on children can be large and long-lasting. Drug and or alcohol abuse by parents and caregivers can often result in neglect of the children and threatened abuse. Statistics show that a common effect of parental alcoholism and substance abuse is child maltreatment, including physical abuse and child neglect. One-third to two-thirds of children maltreatment cases involve substance to use to some degree. In one study, children whose parents abused alcohol and other drugs were three times more likely to be abused and more than four times more likely to be neglected than children from non-abusing families. Two-thirds of the people in treatment for drug abuse report being abused or neglected as children. And more than a third of adolescents with a report of abuse or neglect will have a substance use disorder before their 18th birthday, three times as likely as those without a report of abuse or neglect. 12% of children have a parent or caregiver alcohol abuse risk factor. 29% of children have a parent or caregiver drug abuse risk factor. And 25 to 34% of children have a domestic violence abuse risk factor. The statistics of child neglect and of parental opioids and other substances abuse are inevitably linked. Parental opioids and other substances abuse can have devastating effects on children. Early trauma exposure makes children more likely to suffer mental health disorders, including substance abuse and post-traumatic stress disorder later on in their lives. Children are often the hidden victim of our nation's opioid epidemic. Parental substance abuse can also be a more subtle form of child maltreatment. A 2015 study from the National Institutes of Health found children exposed to opiates during pregnancy suffered from behavioral and attention problems. Such children required therapy and often especially licensed and trained foster families. States have indicated that they are struggling to recruit qualified foster families to home children with behavioral and attention issues. The increase in the number of children in foster care occurs at the same time as the increase in the percentage of children entering foster care due to parental substance abuse. Anecdotal evidence and expert opinion link this increase to the parallel rise of parental opioid addiction and overdoses. One third of children entering foster care in 2016 was due at least in part of parental drug abuse an increase of nearly 50% since 2005. Child neglect, which is often a result of substance abuse, is the leading reason for foster care entry. While child neglect was the reason in 61% of child maltreatment cases. In 2018, about 67.3% of all child abuse cases and reports made to CPS agencies came from professionals who came in contact with a child including teachers, lawyers, police officers, and social workers. 
Many people in these professions are required by law to report suspected abuse or neglect. However, many reports came from non-professional sources, such as parents, other relatives, friends, and neighbors. Anonymous reports are accounted for 16% of all reports. We're all responsible to help keep children safe, so we need to take steps to prevent child abuse from occurring in the first place. But in order to do that, it's important for you to know the signs of child abuse and how to report it. The average time for CPS to initiate a response to a report of child abuse is 73 hours, although they might respond to a high-priority case in just 24 hours. It is important to emphasize that children are the victims and are never to blame for maltreatments. Characteristics of an individual child that may increase the likelihood of being maltreated can include being either under four years old or an adolescent, being unwanted or failing to fulfill the expectations of a parent, having special needs, crying persistently or having abnormal physical features, having an intellectual disability or neurological disorder, identifying as or being identified as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. Now, the characteristics of communities and societies that may increase the risk of child maltreatment can also be the following. Gender and social inequality, lack of adequate housing or services to support families and institutions, high levels of unemployment or poverty, the easy availability of alcohol and drugs, inadequate policies and programs to prevent child maltreatment, child pornography, child prostitution, and child labor, social and cultural norms that promote or glorify violence towards others, support the use of corporal punishments, demand rigid gender roles, or diminish the status of the child in parent-child relationships, social economic health and education policies that lead to poor living standards or to socioeconomic inequality or instability but be aware that the earlier such interventions occur in children's lives the greater the outcomes there would be for the child and can help prevent many tragedies delinquencies or repeats in the futures here are a few effective and promising interventions parent and caregiver supports Information and skill building sessions to support the development of nurturing, nonviolent parenting delivered by nurses, social workers, or trained lay workers through a series of home visits or in a community setting. Education and life skills approach. Increasing enrollment in quality education to allow children to acquire knowledge, skills, and experiences that build resilience and reduce risk factors of violence. Programs to prevent sexual abuse that builds awareness and teach skills to help children and adolescents understand consent, avoid and prevent sexual abuse and exploitation, and to seek help and support. Interventions to build a positive school climate and violence-free environment and strengthen relationships between students, teachers, and administrators. Norms and values approach. Programs to transform restrictive and social norms around child rearing and child discipline and promote the nurturing role of fathers, implementation and enforcement of laws, laws to prohibit violent punishment to protect children from sexual abuse and exploitation, 
Response and support services, early case recognitions coupled with the ongoing care of child victims and families to help reduce the recurrences of maltreatment and lessen its consequences. To maximize the effects of prevention and care, WHO recommends that interventions are delivered as part of a four-step public health approach, defining the problem, identifying causes and risk factors, designing and testing interventions aimed at minimizing the risk factors, disseminating information about the effectiveness of interventions, and increasing the scale of proven effective interventions. Child abuse is a serious topic in which needs to be emphasized more often. With that being said, I want to dive in a bit on some stories pertaining to child abuse and how it can portray in various situations. Elizabeth Fritzl's father, Joseph, kept her locked in a secret basement compound in Austria for 24 years with three of the seven children he fathered with her. Joseph and his wife, Rosemary, raised the other three living children he fathered with his eldest daughter. Upon finding out what was going on in the cellar, the Fritzl family, as well as their community, were apparently shocked by the news, completely unaware of Joseph's evil tendencies. Regarding the three children who lived their lives entirely in the cellar, Kirsten Fritzl of 19 and her brothers Stefan of 18 and Felix of 5 have been alone in the cellar for so long that they developed their own type of communication via growls, grunts, and animal-like sounds. Elizabeth Fritzl had tried to teach them and let them have a normal life in the cellar. Steven Stainer was an American child who became famous after he was kidnapped as a seven-year-old and held captive by his abductors to be reunited with his family seven years later. The kidnapper, Kenneth Parnell, sexually abused Steven, but also enrolled him in school and convinced Steven he had legal custody of him. It wasn't until Parnell kidnapped another younger boy that Steven escaped, taking the boy with him. A television movie was made about Steven Stainer's ordeal called I Know My First Name Is Steven. Ironically, Steven's brother, Carrie Stainer, felt neglected as his parents grieved over the loss of Steven and later went on to become the Yasmite serial killer. Fusako Sano is a Japanese woman who was kidnapped at the age of 10 by Nobuyuki Sato a 28-year-old mentally disturbed unemployed Japanese man and held in captivity for nine years and two months from November 13, 1990 to January 28, 2000. In Japan, the case is also known as the Niligata Girl Confinement Incident. The house in which he kept her for the entire time is only 200 meters from a koban police box and 55 kilometers from a location where she was kidnapped. While Sano was initially scared, she eventually just gave up and accepted her faith. Allegedly, the kidnapper kept her tied up for several months and used a stun gun for her punishments if she did not videotape the horse racing on TV. 
Sana was also threatened with a knife and beaten. Upon her rescue, Sana was found to be healthy, although extremely thin and weak due to lack of exercise. She could barely walk. She was also dehydrated. Due to the lack of exposure to sunlight, she also had very light skin tone and suffered from jaundice. While her body was that of a 90-year-old woman, mentally, she acted like a child. take care of the children. They are the generation of the future and there is no need to mistreat them. As the saying goes, treat others as you would like to be treated. And yes, that counts to children as well. Life is beautiful and so is the newest generation that are growing up to make a difference in the world one day. Moral education begins in our homes in order to have strong, healthy, and happy children. episode on Shots of Endorphins was produced by me, Joyce Grace, and a shout out to my research team. If y'all enjoy Shots of Endorphins, well, you're in luck. This podcast has its very own website now, so you can visit and listen to the podcast at shotsofendorphins.com. You can help support us by clicking on the support tab as well. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram by searching up Shots of Endorphins or subscribing to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other streaming services you're listening to. And when you do, don't forget to shoot me a greeting. It's nice to meet new people. As always, thanks for listening. And don't forget to smile. <laughs>